We have a new partner to the podcast, Luminate Advertising. They're an award-winning advertising and marketing firm, and their brand research director, Mary Tilger, is a personal friend of mine, and I encourage you to contact Luminate Advertising just to make your company shine if you need any graphic design, copywriting, printing, radio spots, trade show displays, digital marketing, promotional products. Everyone wants to represent their company in just a professional manner, so call Mary. She has a great marketing ear. She can help you out. Her phone number is 303-460-8703. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. All right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, I'm excited, you guys, to have this great conversation with Tracy Goodwin. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You know, we all... we have a you know a lot of the people in our entire community. We have just this wonderful, engaged group of folks, Tracy, and everybody here. They're listening because they want to do more. They want to be known for something. But I think at the core, um, they have a message that's in their heart that's unique to them, and they're really trying to move past a lot of things in their life to really bring that message out into the world, into their into the the people they feel called to serve. And um, really excited about this conversation because you start a company called Captivate the Room, and um, you started speaking and winning awards at the age of twelve. So you're an underachiever, which which <laughs> I appreciate, right? And then now you you went on to become a professional actor, um, and this is you got your uh, degree in directing in addition to your BFA. And you also hold two masters. You've coached hundreds of people around the uh, around the world, around the globe, actually, on how to really step into your voice power and make a big impact with your your message. And when we were talking earlier, you described our voice as what the the symphony of our heart. I believe you said, "Yeah, the or- the voice is the orchestra of the heart." Orchestra of the heart, and I love that because I shared with Tracy. Here's something you might not know about me: is I. I played uh, classical violin for 20 years growing up, and just and I totally resonate with that. Right, that perfect note it just resonates with somebody in a way that you touch their lives. So uh, I'm excited about this because Tracy isn't just an expert not in, in voice technique, and you've been working in, in this area for over 20 years. And there's people around the world that seek out your expertise and. And one of the things that you're really skilled at is building confidence in people and their voices so they can really just go out and share their message and share their your message in just a beautiful way that touches others. So thank you for taking the time and being here and, and just talking about what I think is a really important area for all of us to, to get better at. Right. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here with you today. Well, you're in California. I'm in Denver. So I used to live in Southern California, and um, but uh, you know one thing to share with you: Denver does have 300 days of sun every year, but we do get snow. So we kind of have a mix of you know you just you have you do have some nice some warmer weather. But um, here's how I'd love to start: 
uh, because you and I were able to catch up. But, uh, you, know, you know, for yourself, just so people can get to know you, just share a little bit about, you know, your journey um, and kind of what's brought you to what you're doing today, Tracy. Well, my journey is, is really the irony that there's so much irony in my story because I what I, I did not plan to be a voice person. That was not the plan. And really, I ran from it for years and years and years. And it was so clearly my purpose. But I was raised in a family where I wasn't allowed to speak, John. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you you sat there and you smiled and you looked good, but you did not say a word. So your dinner t- so was it a, was the dinner table a pretty stoic event? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you didn't share dreams, goals, ideas, feelings, thoughts, wants. I mean, you just didn't use your words. And many, many times if you did, you got clobbered for it. So when it when when all of this, this, you know, started coming in that I should be a voice person, it was just like, okay, God, that's really funny. That's really funny. Because I don't know, you know, I, I was raised not being able to use my voice. Now, granted, I learned how to do it. That's why I started speaking when I was 12 years old. I needed a platform to use my voice. I was desperate to have my voice heard. But then there were other events, you know, that happened along the way that were just, you know, I was severely beaten in a play and I completely, you know, changed my voice. And all these Signs were there and things were there. But in my finite mind, I was saying, God, how can you want me to be a voice expert when I've had so much voice tragedy? Mm. How can this be? And and I ran from it. I mean, it was, you know, classic Jonah in the belly of the whale. I mean, I was running for years, you know, oh, I'll be an actor and oh, I'll be a director and I'll do everything humanly possible, but be a voice person. Because how could that be? So what allowed you to to connect to that? Because I think there's a lot of people that are running, you know, they're they're you know they're paying the bills, they're doing what they think they should be doing, uh, and and they're not really you know connected to that what they really you know were designed to do. So what allowed you to make that shift? That's such a good question. You know, I think opportunities kept coming up for me. Even back when I was directing and acting before internet, you know, I mean, we had the yellow pages then, you know. What are that? People, What's that? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> people now are like, what? What are you talking, you know? Um, I, bet my, a, I bet my kids don't know. What they, actually, they probably know what it is. They might have never actually seen one, though. Right, right. I don't even know if they still send those out, but the building behind me is the Yellow Page building, and it's huge. And I, I laugh every time I walk out the door because I'm like, is that even still a thing? I don't know. Maybe it's all online now, but people kept finding me. I have no idea how they found me, and people would find me to coach their voices. And it, it really kind of drove me nuts because it was like, why, why am I coaching voices? Why, you know, I did not believe in myself. I did not believe I was worthy of that. I was good at that. And then I kept, you know, they kept coming. And then I got some big conservatory gigs in New York City. And I really started to see how I was changing lives. And I was really starting to see how 
you know, people were looking to me. And from that outside, from that outside response, I embraced it internally, which, you know, I don't know if that's the best way, the way I, you know, I don't know. But it, for me, it took the external to buy into the internal for me because I just couldn't buy into it. But I'll tell you, I also, there was a tremendous amount of resistance too. That's not what I wanted. I don't want this, God. I don't want to be a voice person. I want to be an actor. I want to be a director. But the truth of the matter was, I didn't even love those remotely like what I love with my voice work. Well, you know, it also sounds like, and I can relate to this, right? You're, you grow up and, you know, how you grow up just so forms our identity, how we view ourselves, what we think, you know, um, uh, we should be doing. And that was different for you than what God was putting on your heart. So at some point there was a shift where that identity moved um, toward being this one that God kind of kept putting in front of you. And what allowed you to kind of make that that shift, Tracy? Uh, the shift into being a, into embracing what God wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. I finally just said, okay, fine. I'll do it your way. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was literally like that. You know, um, I think because I had to, I feel like maybe growing up and I felt like I always had to prove something. I felt like I was never good enough. If I wasn't good enough to be heard, if my words were not good enough to be spoken, I've got to prove to you that I'm a success. Mm-hmm. And I think that may have been why I chased some of the dreams that I chased. If I if I become a famous actress, then you're going to love me. Then you're going to think I'm worthy. Then you're going to hear my voice. If I become a famous director. So I think I was chasing the wrong thing. And I think I just honestly, I, I got tired. I got tired of fighting. And the things that I was chasing weren't panning out. They weren't giving me what I wanted. And yet this thing on the side kept showing up. And when it started showing up in the form of the top conservatories in New York and, you know, well-known director schools, I said, okay, fine, I'll do it your way. I'll see what this is about. And, and I just, I, I just, you know, it was classic. I had to be broken. I had to be broken. To, you know, to submit to this <laughs> because I just wanted it my way. But that was not my purpose. It was not my purpose to be an actor or a director. And, you know, I was part of the journey, but it yeah. was not the purpose. Well, you know, you bring up a good point there, right? Um, you know, the things that happen to us through our life, along our life, even if it's not maybe what you know, is that perfect thing we need to do? It's all of it is, you know, I don't look at any of it as a mistake. There was things I did career-wise that really turned out, you know, in the moment to like, this was a really bad decision. I should have not spent the last three years doing this. But it set me up for something later, gave me a context and an experience. So I just encourage everybody listening that, you know, whatever you've gone through in life, just look at that as a place that you can say, you know, here's things that I did do well. Here's what I learned from that. And look at it from this positive perspective is how is all of this prepared me for what I want to be doing in this season? And that doesn't mean that we're not talking about radically changing your career, but maybe you're looking at what you're doing a little bit differently or you want to 
add something into that, or maybe you do some things like Tracy and I have done have just completely made a pivot, but you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but it all comes together to serve us uh, forward and do it in a way that's, I think, a lot more fulfilling. I love that so much. I really do. In fact, you know, the probably one of the biggest pieces of my story, even bigger than being raised in a family where I wasn't allowed to use my voice, was when I was I was in a play in college and it was a horrific situation and I was allowed to be beaten in this play. And as a result of that, my voice started sounding like this. And people will say, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. Well, yeah, it's horrible. But you know what? It led me to the foundation of the very teaching, the whole background of what I do today to help people. 32 years ago, learned the core of what I do today that changes lives. So, you know, it is. It's exactly what you're saying. All things work together for good, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's the first thing God said to me at my action. And I love that you jumped in here. So think about this. So our audience, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, coaches, um, speakers, authors, people that really have a message. And, you know, communication is a huge part of what we do and how we come across and how we touch other people's lives. So I'd love for you to just share you know, this audience, these people that they have that, you know, the symphony wants to play. Um, and you know what, they, they, they need to, you know, figure out how to tune up the symphony and then play the right song, so to speak. And so how do we help them do that? Well, you know, th- th- here's the thing. Everybody has an orchestra of the heart. We, we were made that way. And, and here's an interesting concept for everyone. And this is what I teach. I think we can, you know, I think we look at it and we think, okay, we need to do some voice exercises. We need to remember to breathe. All of that stuff is great, but I want to share something with you. The way that you speak started long ago. Mm. I call it the psychology of the voice. And what happens is when we're children, if you look at children, if you have children, when they're little, they're loud, they have melody, they use all the elements of their voice. Now look at 40-year-olds or even 30-year-olds or even 20-year-olds, and they're very, very cautious about what they do and how they say it because they have had so many dings in life. That's what Mm -hmm. I call them. Mm -hmm. So as we get the dings in life, and dings can be catastrophic. They can be raised by a narcissistic parent, or they can be had six older sisters and never got a word in edgewise. It can be the teacher that told you to shut up. It could be the neighbor who said you'd never amount to anything. Those dings come in. They come into our subconscious mind. The voice is the most vulnerable tool you have because the moment you use it, you're subjecting yourself to judgment. So as the dings of life come in in our mind, our mind is going to protect our our heart, our orchestra. So little by little, you lay into the muscle memory pulling it back, keeping it down, using it small, be careful, don't do it wrong. Mm. That That's laid into your muscle memory. So, it, so you think, oh, I'll just remember to, no, we've got to flip it. And it's baby steps. You know, we've got to get, we've got to lay in something new in the muscle memory. So I, a lot of times I'll tell people, what do you do? Do you gravitate to quiet? Do you gravitate to loud? What do you do? Everybody has a pattern. It's a safety net. Start rolling in the opposite. Start rolling in the opposite. If you always get loud, or maybe you get loud and you always hit your words, well, you're very predictable. 
So now you can be loud, but you can also be soft. So it's, you know, it's, it's about looking at what you've got and rolling in the five elements of variety, getting the sound flowing out, the things that you don't. But a big part of that is, you know, it's coming from the psychology of the voice. And, and so we kind of have to trick it a little bit. We kind of almost have to trick the voice out because there's so much fear involved, fear of rejection, fear of what people are going to think, fear I'm not smart enough, fear I'm not good enough. What if they don't like it? So it's kind of a two-pronged thing, if that makes sense. Well, it, it does to me. And um, question for you. So people listening, you know, we're talking, you're talking about having this awareness of how you speak and then expanding, you know, what that looks like. So why is this important? And what, what does that do for people as they, they focus in this area? Well, first and foremost, one of the things that, that we do that people don't even realize that they do is they, they speak in a way that there are voice barriers. So if I am very cautious of this conversation with you, John, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little more tentative with my words and I'm, because I'm, I, I don't know where you're going and I'm not sure. There's a, I just put up a barrier between us. That keeps us from connecting. I can't reach through and touch your heart. You can't reach through and touch my heart. It's kind of like you go to the bank and they've got that bulletproof glass. You can see the teller and you can hear her, but you can't touch her. Our voice does the same thing. So if you're in fear, if you're in, you know, I hear people will do great. And then I'll tell them, okay, do a sales call for me. And boom, voice barriers. And I'll say, what happened? Well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to sound pushy. I, I don't know. See, we hear all of that. So that's one thing. But, but I, but I want to tell you the big thing is the five elements of variety. We tend to use one or two. Well, think about this. There's five elements of vocal variety. There are five senses. We have to use all five because we want to touch this, all the senses of our audience, because when their senses are touched, their in turn, their emotions are touched. And that's truly how we change lives, by touching emotions. Oh, I couldn't agree more, because, you know, um, in, in a lot of the, the training that we do, uh, you know, the leadership training that we do, one of the things that we share with people is that when you are presenting to a group the the message that what is actually communicated, what people receive, only seven percent of it is the actual words that you use. Right. The rest is your body language and your tone of voice. Fifty five percent is body language, thirty eight percent is tone of voice, and your body language can absolutely come across. Like if I'm leaning forward and I'm talking in the mic and I'm standing up and I'm all excited. Everybody can, you know, probably see, you know, kind of almost sense, you know, what I'm doing and, and, or if I'm just sitting back in my chair and talking quietly. And so what you're communicating to people, like you talked about, right? If I'm tentative with my talk because I've put up that mental barrier, they're receiving that loud and clear that there's something here that I just said, or Tracy just went to a place and I mean, I don't know where I stand with them. Mm-hmm. So th- th- that's it. So this is re- so what we're talking about is really important stuff, everybody, because if we can really use really be focused on how we're communicating the tones that we're using, you know what, that message that's so important for us to get out 
has um, a, a order of magnitude more ability to touch the person that you're talking to. Yeah, it's it's about impacting and and the voice it really leads, you know, the voice the voice has so much power. I don't know how, if people even realize that it's possibly the most powerful tool that you have if you know how to use it. And when you talk about leadership, voice is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, how how you how are you how do you want to talk to your people? Do you want to connect with them? Then you you can't be snappy with them. You know, that that I get a, a lot. You know, somebody got snappy with me the other day and I was like, see, what you just did was you just affected something, an emotion within me that is really negative. I don't want to work with you now. Mm-hmm. See, just that simple, just that simple. We can destroy relationships. Now, you were talking about just before um, about some of you know, the five elements, you know, things that we can be thinking about and bringing into how we communicate. Um, I'd love for you to share what, what those are. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, this is what I work with a lot of people on because people don't even realize we tend to have a go-to or maybe two go-tos. And a lot of people gravitate to, I'm going to get louder because I need some power here. Loud is the weakest tool in the toolbox. We think it's the most powerful. But here they are, pausing, which is terrifying to many people because, one, in the pause, we have to breathe and connect with ourselves. And we step into maximum vulnerability. But pause is the most powerful tool in the toolbox. Then we've got elongation. Like, really, I really believe in you. Then we've got shades of loud and soft. Soft is the second most powerful tool in the toolbox. We've got shades of fast and slow. A lot of people gravitate to fast. A lot of that has to do with breathing. And then we've got shades of high and low. And so we want to roll them in. You don't want to get high all the time. And you don't want to go fast all the time. But what we want to do is we want to be the conductor of this orchestra so that I'm going a little bit fast right now. But in just a minute, I'm going to completely slow down because I want to create utmost unpredictability. So you never know what note I'm going to play next. Now, when you're doing that and you're being conscious of developing these. The, the people that are listening, Tracy, what what are they experiencing versus when we're, you know, just kind of in our normal comfort zone of, of communicating? As far as a listener? Yes. Yeah. So, well, it go, I think it really goes back to my research and experience. It really goes back to predictability versus unpredictability. Statistics tell us that every 90 seconds, our brain tells us to check out. It used to be two and a half minutes when I started this work, believe it or not. And now it's down to 90 seconds. And I actually haven't checked that statistic in about a year. It could be less. So every 90 seconds, when I'm talking to you, your brain pops up and says, hey, what's going on on Facebook? Hey, check your email. Hey, what are you going to get at the store? If the person you are listening to has already shown you what they're going to do by being predictable, every three words, I'm going to pause. Every three words, I'm going to pause. Every three words, I'm going to pause. 
you know, your subconscious mind says, I got this. I know what they're doing. Think about something else. So if we're regulating that full orchestra, one, we're touching the senses and affecting the emotions. But two, you have no idea where I'm going next. So, so when that 90 second checkout comes in, you're like, stop it. I got to see where she's going. I don't know what she's doing next. Right. And, you know, I'll tell people, I'll say, when I go in to speak, when I go in to teach, part of my goal is that no one ever picks up their phone to look at it. If I am truly regulating my voice and captivating the room with it, they don't. Well, that, that, there, that, was, that is a good measure of success. Um, I was actually just in a workshop. Um, I think I told you about that. Uh, Dave Lieber came up and was just sharing with us how he uses stories in his communicating. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he said he intentionally did not tell everybody to, hey, put your phones away and, you know, and pay attention. What his goal was to observe the whole crowd and if people are checking their phones, that is this instant feedback for him that he actually needs to be more intentional about how he's communicating. Yes, I do the same thing. You are my guide. Mm-hmm. You are my guide. The glazed off look. The second I see a glaze off, I know I've got to, I've got to make a shift within me because I'm losing you. So I love that. I mean, just think about how many meetings we've been in, in the, in the business world or, you know, production meetings, wherever it happens to be. And, and if you had somebody leading the meeting that was actually engaging and you yeah. were actually communicating and you felt, you know, what you were valued and you were part of it, that, that, is, that is a gift. Yeah, it really is. And it really, you know, I, I think that's what helps catapult success. You know, you're so engaging and so dynamic and people want to listen to you. And my thing is, John, that I think everybody has that within them. You know, I think that, no, everybody's not going to sound like me or not going to sound like you or not going to sound, you know, we're all going to be our own version of it. But I believe that everybody has the ability and the, and the tools within them, they were God-given, to step into their best vocal version of themselves, whatever that is. It's probably not me because I'm a voice teacher. I, I kind of have a heightened you know, sense of all of this anyway. But I believe that everybody can learn to be powerfully engaging with their voice. Well, you know, speaking of that, so if, you know, people, let's say they're kind of maybe start to be aware of how they're communicating um, and you've shared some of the tools or, you know, the five areas, how do, how do you coach people into starting to apply those? What, you know, what are maybe some of the steps people listening to say, okay, I want to start communicating and using more of my, my tools, my range. What, what does that actually look like? Yeah. Well, first, if if anybody has fear, so what I have found is there are two types of people that that seek me out or seek this out. One is the person that is so terrified they can't even speak to step into the captivating part. And then the other person is not really afraid to put their words out there. They just know that they're not quite as captivating. For those that are still baking the cake, and I line up voice work, like you bake the cake, you ice the cake, and then we put on those delicious roses. 
the people that are still baking the cake, you have to look at that fear and you have to really write down every single thing you're afraid of. You can't keep it in a global sense. You can't say, well, I'm just afraid to speak. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of people will think I'm stupid. I'm afraid I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm afraid I'm going to, you know, throw up in the middle of my speech or whatever. I think you have to write all of that down. You have to really define it, bring it down to its bottom level. And then you have to ask the question, is this true? Is this Mm. true? You're stupid. Are you? Are you really stupid? No, you're not. And then you check it off the list and, and it reduces that fear. And then you start taking baby steps. You, you don't go from zero to 100. You don't go from, I don't speak ever. I'm doing a TED Talk next week. You know, you, you take baby steps along the way. Now, for the people that are really ready to, are interested in, and everybody can, you, everybody's ready to start using the, the variety elements. The first thing you want to do is you want to look at what you do. What do you do? Do you have a pattern? Do you have a pause? Do you speak all softly? Do you speak all loudly? You know, everybody kind of has something that they do. Figure out what you do and then start rolling in the opposite first. Like if you're loud, start rolling in a few bits of soft. If you're soft, start rolling in a few bits of louder every once in a while. If you go faster, give me a little bit of slower. So all, so our, those, friends, all our friends on the East Coast should slow down here and there. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, you know, that's the, that's the thing is there's so much, so many cultural environmental factors as well. You don't want one of everything. You don't want all of it to be fast or all of it to be loud or all of it to be slow or all of it to be paused filled. You want all the elements of variety. So that's, you know, that is a big, a big place to start for captivating the room with your voice. And then there's, you know, there's other things like so many people clench their jaw. Well, if you clench your jaw, you're not dropping your jaw. You're not letting your words flow out with ease. So many people I work with tell me their sound is stuck in the back of their throat. They don't have to tell me I hear it. So what we have to do is we have to prop up their pipeline, you know? So one of the things that you can do if you have a tight jaw, you're holding, your your jaw is probably tight because you're trying to hold your words in. Vulnerability, orchestra of the heart. I got to hold on to this, judgment. Start yawning a lot. Relax the muscles of your jaw. You've got to train that jaw to drop when you speak. Now, there's plenty of other ways. I won't go into them, things that I do, but... We've got to start letting those words out, and we almost have to trick the mind by putting something different in the muscles. So yawning, um, you know, things like that to get the jaw to start dropping, to re- start relaxing. I work with people that, oh my gosh, you know, a lot of people hold a lot of tension in their jaw. It's like gridlock, teeth grinders and mashers, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm also thinking too, you know, you know, outside of maybe speaking or presenting or like doing what we're doing here on the podcast, a lot of everyday communication in where I think a lot of this, what we're talking about is really important, but it's also colored by our emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we could be, maybe we're frustrated or we're angry or, you know what, we feel overwhelmed and we're just busy. So we're very short. 
And so how do we take into account um, some of these emotions that can definitely affect how we're communicating in a way that, that can um, allow us to do that better, you know, have some self-awareness and control in, in some of those situations? I love that so much. And I, I'll tell you the two most viewed videos that I have ever done in the last 20 years have been tone and silent treatment. Hmm. Tone is huge. So I think, you know, I think that there's several things. I think one, we really have to take a look at, I think tone in many, many ways is I'm not speaking my truth. I want to say to you, I, John, I really don't like it when you do that, but I have fear to say that to you. So instead, I'm going to say, I'm not going to the meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Because my emotion is, I desperately need you to know how I feel, but I'm terrified to tell you. So I'm going to try to kind of wrinkle it through, if that makes sense. So I think we have to get really, really honest and courageous about speaking our truth. My catchphrase is speak your truth just do it beautifully. And that's that's the whole crux of it right there is we have to find our internal courage and start baby steps in saying what we need to say. And we can take it all the way. You know, if you, I'm not a relationship expert, but I am a voice expert. How about, would you like Chinese for dinner? Fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you don't want it. But you're saying, fine, but your tone says, I'm not eating a single bite when we get there because I want Mexican, right? So we have to step into, you know, I really kind of want Mexican food tonight. And that's an inside job. You know, that's worth. We're starting to talk about worth now. Our voices, we all have a right to speak. Our voices represent our worth. So I think that we have to start looking at the at our words and using our words. You know, like when you teach small children, think about it. What do you, you hear moms say to small children? Use your words. We have to go back to that. <laughs> and seriously, because that's, you know, when I, when I go into companies, that's, what they, that's why they bring me in. Well, we've got four people and they're just so, it's so passive aggressive. They want, well, okay, this is what we're talking about. They're snapping but they're not saying what they need to say. So it becomes about, I'm going to use my words, but I'm going, and I'm going to use my words. And be, because I start using my words, I don't have to have that tone. Tone is about the unspoken words. And then I think the second piece is we've got to learn to stop and breathe and think and have some restraint of tongue. You know, well, you know, it makes me think too, as you're talking, right, is really this in this area of self-awareness is also if you take your arrows and point them out and you're really consciously making effort to be aware of how the other person is receiving what you're saying. So if you're frustrated or you're angry and you snap at somebody and you actually take the time to observe how that hits them, how they receive that. And realize, you know what, they just heard something that I did not mean to communicate. And, you know, right there, 
is a great point for you to actually just say, you know what? Hey, Tracy, I apologize. I think, mm-hmm. I think you just heard maybe something I didn't mean to say, and this is what's going on. But I think if we can just be a little bit more humble and vulnerable and also be considering what other people are hearing as we're communicating, it's going to take the level of communication and relationship to that next level where it needs to move toward. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as you were telling that, it made me think of the most hurtful thing that anyone ever said to me. And it hurt because it was true. Mm. This person said to me years ago, probably, I don't know, 30 years ago, she said, everything's not about you, Tracy. And it profoundly changed my life because everything is not about us. So much is. But I think that we kind of tend to get bogged down. It's human nature, you know, and I think we tend to get bogged down. It's like listening. Listening is one of the most powerful tools for the use of the voice there is. But what do we do? We don't necessarily listen. We start planning what we're thinking, what we're going to say, what we're going to say. We listen, but we don't hear. And I think that's one of the, the things that in our world right now, we really, especially, it's always been important, but we really have to start listening. I have to hear your voice so that you can hear mine. It's just like what you're saying. Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I didn't really mean it that way. You know, stepping outside of ourselves, listening, getting beyond what we want. That's what negotiation is, right? Everybody wants what they want. We, you know, we've got to find a level playing field on that and listening and using your voice is a huge part of that. Yeah. You know what? You just brought up a memory I haven't thought of for a long time, but I was in um, high school youth group. I was 15 years old and didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, I had a couple of friends on my street that were close. And one of the guys in our youth group was a year older than me who I really respected, pulled me aside once and said, John, you know, I'm tired. You're, you're always so negative. It's why mm. nobody likes to be around you. And I got to tell mm. you, man, that hurt. And then mm. I realized all, you know, the language I would use, the humor that I had, which was um, how I used it, which I thought was funny. But you know what? It was it was ruining relationships. And I made a um, – that day on, I started trying to use my words to always – edify people. I didn't really know that word at the time, right? But to edify people, to build them up or to be positive. Mm-hmm. And it was through that change, because I got that feedback from somebody that totally opened up a whole new world of friends and relationships and opportunities in my life. And I've continued always, you know, being like that. So, you know, being aware of, 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 how other people are hearing us, right? Because it's not the words we use. It's that that tone of voice. It's how it's we tone. communicate it is, is absolutely critical. And I think it's, you know, as people are listening to this, I hope you're saying, you know what? I wonder what, you know, is it, are there some things with how I'm communicating, with my tone, with um, how I'm, you know, paying attention to how other people are hearing what I'm saying, Um it it can make a huge difference, and that's why I'm so glad that we can have this conversation because I I think this is an area that we don't that people aren't really don't think of a lot, but it's so important. So important because 
it, it, and that's just a perfect example of the voice touching the emotions. If somebody gets a really harsh tone with me because of my, you know, what everybody has triggers. Everybody has voice triggers. I call it uh, aversion. Some people are loud averse. Some people are soft averse. Some people are, so, you know, fast averse. If somebody starts getting snappy with me, boy, I am going to unreal inside. And, and we, we've got to you know, we've got to be aware of, of what we're doing because relationships can be destroyed in an instant mm-hmm. overtone. I mean, an instant. Yeah, we always used to look for in my company what we would call wounded avoiders. Mm, right? I love you, that. You have a conversation with somebody and you think, you know what, I just told Tracy, you know, good job, but, you know, next time you need to do this, this, and this. What they heard was you didn't meet any of my expectations. You're not doing a good job. And I don't know where I stand with you because you're the boss. And all of a sudden they're reeling, they're going home They're You've caused them stress and anxiety. You don't even know it. And, and they're, they're miserable. And it's because you were not aware in that moment about how you communicated what you really, the emotional message that you really sent to that person. I love that you said that so much because half my client base is the person that went home reeling. Mm. People that come to me that are the that wounded. What did you call that? Wounded. Wounded. Uh, wounded. I love that so much because they. Wounded, guess what I'm going to do next time when I'm around Tracy? Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, oh, it's yeah. like that hurt. So I'm going to avoid a conversation unless I know I can go to you with something that I'm going to get some sort of an, maybe an affirmation or a attaboy or something. Right. And that and that builds up over time. That and also then, drives bad behavior, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's where silent treatment comes from. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't I cannot use my words with you, but I am dying to let you know that I am so upset right now. So I'm going to storm through the office and slam my purse down and see if you get it. That's what the silent treatment is. And people come to me, you know, weekly that have that have felt that way their whole lives to the point that they're not using their voice. And that's what I'm talking about, that muscle memory laid in, locking their voice in. They don't even know how to put their words out anymore because they they've been so wounded by words and tone and, and uh, you know, whatnot their whole life. Well, you know, that gets into a whole nother topic. I should, we should probably do a podcast episode just on how to give and receive feedback and how to create an environment <sighs> where it's safe yeah. for people to give you feedback. Because I'll guarantee you almost everybody out there right now listening has somebody in their life they wish they could, you know, they want to communicate it in truth and in love. But they feel like this is something I really need to share with this person, but I don't know how or I'm scared to or I don't know what the consequences might be. And if people feel there's consequences for giving us feedback that we really need to hear, because, right, there's 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 kind of two modes. A, I agree with your feedback, so I'm going to take it and do something with it. Or you give me feedback and I don't agree with it, so I immediately either dismiss it or I start treating you differently or it reinforces, yeah, that Tracy, she's just, you know, this person. And yeah. that is very that, – that is at the core. A lot of the companies we come in and do a lot of work in when we're looking at turning around a company and we start a lot of times with culture, I'll guarantee you that exists in culture big time. And so does gossip. And how we define gossip is if you're talking with somebody, communicating with them about a situation where you're not where, where you are not part of the problem or the solution. And if you can right. eliminate gossip, you can have healthy communication 
you consider all feedback relevant, and you're communicating in a way that really gets your message across, um, I got to tell you, you can you can completely change an organization rapidly. Oh, I I agree. You can change everything just just with voice and communication. It's very 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 huge. It's it's the orchestra of the heart. Yes. Well, <laughs> hey, as we wrap up, Tracy, what are just a couple of final thoughts you'd like to leave with everybody? Well, you know, I just I just want to encourage everybody. And, and put this out there, everybody is an answer. You have a message, you have a voice, and somebody out there in the world is going to benefit. Maybe a lot of somebodies are going to benefit from hearing for, from you. You're here to change their lives. We all are. So it's time to, to start stepping into and, and speaking your truth and doing it beautifully. Don't worry. Don't worry right away about what you sound like. Don't worry about what they're going to think. Start stepping in to this is the year. This courage is my theme this year. Step into the courage of changing lives because that's what we're all here for. And and you have the right to speak. So I just want to encourage everybody to start using their voice and sharing their message in a positive way. Remember, Words have two choices, wound or empower. Mm. So does tone. I take that up to tone. You know, I add in tone on that. Words and tone, two choices. You wound or you empower. I think we need some empowering. And I know that everybody has a story inside. I want people to start sharing that, to start speaking their truth beautifully. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And Tracy, how do people get in touch with you, find out more about what you're doing or how to work with you or, you know, you know, all the different things you have going on right now? The website, I think, is the best place to go. My website is CaptivateTheRoom.com. And you can find out everything about me and what's going on. And, and I have a podcast, Captivate the Room. So you can get to to the podcast from there as well. That's that's, I think, the best place. Perfect. And all the links for the podcast and Captivate the Room, uh, your website will all be on the show notes for this episode. And Tracy, thank you so much for your time. This was just a great conversation and uh, some just wonderful, everybody out there listening, just think about one thing that you heard today. I'd love for you to just shoot me a note or put a comment on the blog post about what you got out of that, how you applied it, and what you noticed, what you learned. Because I think if you do that, uh, you're going to see some some really wonderful outcomes and changes as, you, as this is something you focus on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I have just enjoyed this so much. What a delight. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. 
For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.